spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascent Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Send Podcast, we're joined by Rob Greenfield. Rob is an environmental activist, he's a sustainability guru, he's also a dumpster diving adventurer, and he really is somebody who is making a huge difference in the world, and he is dedicated and he's also leading the way to a more sustainable world. And just to name a few things, and some name a few incredible pieces of activism that Rob has done, he travelled across the US on a bamboo bike, he also did an experiment where he lived the typical Mbondia lifestyle for 30 days and he wore all the trash he used and disposed of and he actually looked like something out of Transformers, like a transformer of trash. He also lived off grid in a tiny house. He also spent a week of living on the streets. He also went on a, on a, on a tour called the Do Good Tour where basically... He cycled through the whole of California, doing good things for people, volunteering for non-profits, and doing other good deeds as well. And that is just basically a sliver of this of this man's adventures and pieces of activism. He really is on a mission. And to check out some more of his, of his amazing pieces of activism, you can find them at his website, robgreenfield.tv. And his activism really is something on another level. He is really creating eye-catching visuals that do inspire people to self-reflect and how we can all make positive changes in our lives and how we can help our current environmental and social problems as well. And he lives a zero-waste lifestyle and he has he actually has only 111 possessions to his name and he also, which I think is really inspiring, he donates 100% of his media income to grassroots environmental non-profit organizations. Really interesting. And Rob's activism really does, in my opinion, awaken our consciousness to impact our actions that we have on the planet. And I really do feel that, with, especially with this episode, Rob invites us to commit a small daily changes to become the change that we wish to see in the world. And the change... And the change in the world does come from all those little actions that we do on a daily basis. And I don't need to tell you that again. You all know that. And the amount, and then from small change amounts up to large, large scale change. And this is such a powerful conversation anyway with such an incredible human being. And I just wanted to remind you all about the best way that you can support the podcast. And that is through our Patreon page. And if you do feel that any of these conversations do add value in your life, it would be amazing if you could just consider helping the podcast go to that next level. And we really want to keep bringing you the best from the podcast we can. And with your help for our Patreon page, we'll be able to do more in-person conversations. And this is really the direction that we want to go for the podcast. The in-person element brings so much more to a conversation. And our plan is eventually add. Also, we would love to add a video element to them conversations as well. But to do this, we really need your help and really need your support. So please, if you can just consider supporting the podcast for our Patreon page. And also, in return, when you become a Patreon and support the podcast, we literally have to do anything that you say. <laughs> you become our master. 
And also in return as well, when you become a Patreon, you get access to lots of extra cool bonus conversations. And there's lots of very interesting conversations on that page now as well. And the power really is in your hands. We live in a time, and I've said this before, that where we all have the ability to put our attention and support into things that we want to see more of. And as you know, we've never bombarded you with stupid advertisements or products or whatever. So if you could just please consider supporting the podcast, that would be awesome. Anyway, without further ado, Rob Greenfield, enjoy. Uh, I'm in Florida now. I just got back from Europe, and uh, it's nice and warm here. It's good to be outside and eating food from the garden. Mm. Wow. Tell, tell us what it's like to be warm. We forgot about that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a magical, magical thing. Oh, I can't wait, brother. <laughs> are you actually, Rob, Rob, are you actually living back in a um, tiny home now as well? Uh, no. Um, I lived in that tiny house in San Diego until March of uh, February of 2016, so just about two years ago, and uh, since then I've been traveling for the last two years, um, and uh, as of three days ago when I got back from uh, this trip to Europe, now I'm settling here in Florida, so I'm going to be building a tiny house, probably start doing that in about a month um, here. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I watched the documentary on tiny houses, like, it was really, really good. It's fascinating the designs on them. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty. There's some pretty special things about. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great way to achieve freedom from a lot, you know, largely from a life that's revolved around money and be a good way to simplify life. Mm, definitely, I agree. I really, really, um, some of the designs were absolutely amazing. Like, and the um, what's fascinating about them to me when I was watching the documentary. We're showing how much space they can actually create. I mean, when you're in a room, you just look at the room as, an, as a room. But when you're in a tiny house, you look at opportunity to create. And you create yeah. more space, more room here. And it's it's quite ironic how much room you can actually have. I know. It it seems... it's you just Your your eyes open up and just totally change. It's, it's, it's a lot more space than it seems when it's designed correctly. Mm, definitely. Robert, you actually, when you said there before, I mean, we'll just roll in now if you want, if you want to just roll in, because it's quite a cool conversation anyway, we'll just roll in, but I was just going to cool. say, I was going to say as well, before when you were talking about how you were, um, yes, I think you said you were tasting your own sort of food that you grew, grew, grew yourself, I mean, are you growing your own food still as well when you're in Florida now? Well, I, so I've literally been traveling for the last two years, and over the last two years, I've grown a lot of food, but I'm never there to see it harvested. So uh, we've planted, like on my bike ride across the country this summer, we planted about 90 fruit trees uh, and have, I've been in so many gardens and I got my permaculture design certifi- certificate over the last two years, but uh, I haven't been around much to see the food grow and that's my next project. Now that I am in Florida as of four days ago, my next big project is that for one year I'm going to grow forage or hunt a hundred percent of my food even down to the salt herbs spices everything for an entire year yeah i love that i remember actually a while ago i think this was about maybe 
five years ago, I think when I first start, started looking at alternative information and things like that, I was I think it might have been on your YouTube channel or somebody else's YouTube channel, I can't remember, but it was a video of you living in, I think you when you used to live in Florida, when you used to live in the tiny home, I think, is that correct? You used to live in a tiny home, didn't you, in Florida? Yeah, but that was actually San Diego. Oh, was it? So, Sorry. Yeah, from 2000, from, I lived in the t- a tiny house in San Diego for a year from 2015 to 2016, and uh, I didn't grow all of my food by any means. I actually grew a pretty small portion of it because San Diego is a tricky place because I was living off the grid, no bills, no debt, no um, no no water or electricity from on the grid. Now, the challenge of that is that San Diego is a, a desert, and beyond that, it was during a mega drought. So it was hard to grow a lot of food just given that I was pretty limited on water. I only had two to five gallons of water per day or about eight to 20 liters of water per day. To, Whoa. Uh, with the water. Well, Rob, when you were saying there as well that like you were living completely off the grid, I mean, how did that feel mentally inside your head? I mean, that must feel absolutely amazing to be able to be like a self-sustainable sort of human being on the planet. Well, um, it is definitely since uh, I've, I've been simplifying my life for like the last uh, five, six years, and yeah. you know, just waking up to a lot of things that I'm sure that you've been waking up to, and a lot of the people listening, just realizing how delusional we've been about our lives and just realizing how our actions affect the earth and learning how corporations are making money off of every single one of our moves. And so for me, after years of simplifying, living off the grid was kind of just another step forward of really living in a way where I understand my actions, where I am independent financially, large, sorry, largely independent from the financial system of not having every one of my actions being monetized. And um, it's the year that I lived off the grid was definitely just, it's just, a, it's just, it's an amazing thing. It's just, uh, it's a very different way of, of existing. That's cool, that Rob. Um, Rob, I was just wondering as well, um, you know when you're doing these actions, is your message always perceived how you want it to be? Is everyone really responding how you how you want them to? Well, of course, because we have a world where people have totally different views on, on things. I mean, just if you look at different cultures, we have totally different ways of looking at things. And then even within our cultures, we have very polarized views. For example, just if you look at politics, you can see that people have total opposite beliefs on a lot of things. So, of course, there's a lot of people who, who where my message just falls on totally dead ears um, or not dead ears where they actually think I'm a horrible person uh, for, you know, talking about these important issues. And because so many people are, do live in a way where They've been doing things a certain way, and because that's what's normal and that's what's around them, it's the only thing they can believe. And so when I bring a differing viewpoint up, they just think I'm totally, utterly insane. So, of course, there's a fair amount of that. But but the good news is with the stuff that I'm doing, which is, you know, pretty out there, a lot of it, it has been very, very refreshing to see how many people actually do have their eyes awakened by it and really do say, okay, you know, now I know. Now I know, and now we need to. Now I need to do things differently, or think about things differently. And so, the amount of positive reaction of is, has been very, very um, re- encouraging, and that's really what keeps me going. 
that's cool. Yeah, I love that. Honestly, I love that. And um, when you were saying before there about how a lot of people sort of sort of in a sense like sort of stuck the nose up can sometimes stick the noses up to what you're sort of bringing forward and the information that you're bringing forward because i mean we find that a lot when we do the podcast and, and a lot of times of i mean it's it's generally on more likely on facebook and things like that we get the reaction a lot of people people who listen to this podcast aren't really on that are sort of really more open to sort of varied topics and varied beliefs and things like that but you find a lot of people with even with facebook posts and things like that where it's sort of mixing across all sort of mixing the the post itself actually is directly sort of being fed into many different areas of of people who aren't sort of just listening to your message if you if you understand what i mean but what i what i'm what i find by that is that when you do start speaking about a lot of these sort of bigger topics that sort of go against someone's beliefs in their mind it's sort of people can't take that because to me i think just a lot a big degree is that the tr- truth really hurts and it really hits home in a lot of people's minds and they can't in their reality in the lenses that they see reality through can't can't sort of hack this new sort of reality absolutely and i still do it myself sometimes yeah, like, yeah of course yeah and i mean for me that's one of the most important things is always remembering we're all human and even people who are just you know, on a totally different wavelength and even people who are racists and bigots and, and all of that, it's just like, I just got to remember they are a product of their surroundings and they have been, um, they've been force fed this information for, since they were a kid and maybe it's what their mom and their dad does and all the people around them. And so I have, because of that, I'm, you know, fairly understanding of people, um, just knowing it's it's hard to to get away from what we've been indoctrinated with yeah. and live a life that's about seeking truth so even though it can be very frustrating i just try to be very understanding with people yeah i i even remember when i first come like i said before I come when i first about five years ago i came across that video where you were living in the tiny house at that time i even remember looking back at my life now how much when I was watching that video, how much my own sort of cultural sort of conditioning and me sort of cultural sort of conditioning reaction at the time was saying to myself when I seen you doing that and I seen you living off grid, there was something inside saying, well, I can never do that. I can't do that. I mean, do you get that quite a lot with some of the things that you're doing? Like, how would you sort of speak to that reaction? Because you must get that quite a bit with a lot of people. I do. And it's gotten better and better. I guess o- over time, uh, now that I've been doing this stuff for about five years, over time, I've gotten better at speaking about my message where it's more clearly. And also people have seen me doing it for longer, so they're less likely to think I'm just some crazy guy because they're like, okay, well, he's actually been doing this for a while, Um, which is why I'm excited to get old, you know, because (laughs) I've only been doing it for five years. So I'm just looking forward to like decades of of experience with this stuff. Um, But so... Yeah, I guess I, what was the question again? Yeah, I can't, I can't. I can't even fully remember myself. To be honest, I think I, I basically was just talking about the essence of, of of people sort of reacting to sort of the your your sort of alter, style of alternative living, like the way you sort of like I said when I was watching the video of you living in the tiny house. At, at that time, I reacted to that in a way that was out of my sort of own sort of cultural conditioning in my mind. I, like I said to myself that I I would never be able to sort of sustain that i would never be able to do the yeah. way, live the way that you're living and i was just saying that 
how would you sort of speak to that if like if how would if someone was seeing it themselves now listening to this podcast well i I could never do that how what would you like say to them basically yeah exactly and i get that all the time and here's the thing i would have said i could never do what i'm doing now too five years ago so it so people look at my life because i i live a fairly extreme life like generally most people don't live like me uh It's just a little different way of doing things. And so, but the thing is, I live a life that is extreme to really create a counterbalance to the opposite end of the extreme. And that is the way we consume, the the need for giant houses, the need for, you know, so much food that we waste half of it, the, uh, you know, the need for just massive amounts of money that results in us working most of our lives and, and never really enjoying it. So, that's extreme, and and our Western lifestyle is extreme. If you look at the seven billion people around the world, sure, all of this may seem normal to us. Having this abundance of everything may seem normal to us because it's what we know. But the reality is that it's actually very extreme on the spectrum of human lives on Earth. And so what I'm doing is I create the opposite end of that spectrum, sort sort of. So I'm doing something that's is an extreme to create a counterbalance to the way the extreme way of life and so really the idea I'm not trying to tell anybody to live just like me I'm trying to wake people up and say hey there's a different way of doing things and it's not about for example I have just you know around a hundred possessions to my name so I'm not telling anybody who has you know 20 or 30 thousand possessions to get down to 111 but mm-hmm. instead just saying hey Look through all of this stuff. Is it bringing you purpose? Is it making you happier and healthier? Or is it actually making you a slave to your storage containers and to the bills to, you know, insure this stuff and maintain it? And so that's really what it's about. It's can you simplify, not as far as I've gone necessarily, but can you simplify so that you can live the life that you want that is that is a passionate purposeful life that's better for the world around you and for yourself wow that's beautiful point rob really beautiful rob i'm i'm actually fascinated right now with your mind and like with these vast actions that you're taking i mean when you're actually undertaking these um endeavors i'm going to call them and they're so amazing they're so really are are really reach the soul about what you're doing um, is there ever a point in like during it where you think I'm really struggling here? This is this is a lot harder than I thought it was, or this is actually yeah. going to break me, or or does the purpose itself just keep on pushing you along and you don't really feel it? It's yes and no. I mean, in reality, a lot of what I do is pretty easy for me, um, but it's kind of just because I have that mindset that it's just it's what I want to be doing. That's the thing, like. None of these things, I'm not doing anything I don't want to be doing. I'm doing what I wake up in the morning and I want to do. So that, of course, makes it a lot easier. Um, But there are things like, for example, when I did Trash Me, the project where I wore all of my, all the the trash I made for a month while living like the average person, I was, you know, it's a little awkward or embarrassing to be walking around New York City in a suit just covered in trash. So... (laughs) The first couple days were a struggle. Like I didn't really want to go outside. Kind of just the whole like social stigma. What would people think about me? And then it was the third day of the project or maybe the second day of the project. And I actually watched um, The Big Short. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that. Have you? 
No, no, it's a, it's a documentary on Netflix. Uh, I think. Am I, is it? Is it no. Yeah, it's well, it's not really a documentary. It's actually a. I think actually would be classified as a movie, but it's more like a documentary in a sense. It's about you know a real a real thing. It's basically, well, the point is is that, um, you know, in the United States, in the housing market crash, the, you know, the whole economic meltdown in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a million people lost their houses that year. And these are people that thought that these, a lot of these people, these are the houses that they were going to retire with. This was like their life. And they thought everything was fine and every, they were just comfortable and everything was working for them. And then this crash happens and then all of a sudden their lives are just taken out from underneath them. They lose everything. And I want, I, you know, I, it reminded me that we're all just so delusional. Like the reality of our lives are, that were most of us were just so delusional. And so then I thought to myself, who cares if I'm walking around the city covered in trash? Who cares what people think? We're all just a bunch of crazy, you know, delusional people. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that a little quick point. Um, people won't bat an eyelid if you're wearing like uh, animal skin. But if you're wearing some trash, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Exactly the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, I, I was going to say as well, you made, you touched on a very important point there, Rob, when you were talking about people being delusional because this is something, I mean, this, I think this even goes bigger than, like you said, used the example of the how, the housing example of people losing the houses and people being attached to that identity. And then obviously when it goes, that's when people are lost within themselves and who they are. But I think that goes even bigger to the sense of even, um, because I see this a lot in terms of people's names and things like that. And, pe- and people actually, I mean, this is bigger and going deeper, but people actually identifying themselves with their body of who they are. Like, I, I think, and I think in life, I mean, me and Chris talk about this and we're obviously, me and Chris are both at the understanding that we're not our body and stuff like that. But I think the way that the whole life is set up is that everything is trying to make us become attached to it. And I think as well, another example I can think of now is this to sort of not to go too deep down the rabbit hole, but um, just to pull it back a bit. Another example is is a lot of people believe that they own a sort of a piece of land. Like they believe that it's theirs. And if you can't step on this part of the land, you can't come in. Because in, within the, especially within the UK, I'm not sure where you live, but um, in the UK and things like that, me and Chris quite often go for hikes in the woods and things like that. And a lot of people sort of own certain segments of land and things like that. And me and Chris have talked about this a lot, but people to a, to a certain degree believe that they sort of, like, that's their land. Like, that's that's my land. You can't walk here. Don't sort of, don't don't breathe in this direction. Don't stand on here. And it's, I think to a certain degree, that's, that's, a, that's a big trap in a lot of people's minds. And I think that that goes with the name. It goes with the house. It goes with who you are, who you, who you believe you are. Because I think it goes to the bigger picture of that one day, all that is just going to cease to exist at one time on the planet. Like you don't really deep down, we don't own nothing. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's just, it's delusion. It's, it's totally delusional. The idea of land ownership. Um, and as you said, it's this, this land ownership concept will be the blink of an eye in the human uh, experience for a very short period of time land ownership has existed and of course one day it will go away who knows when that will be but uh, it'll it'll be gone and it will be have been this human-made idea that only lasted for a very 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 short period of time yeah I love that before as well when you air uh, Rob when you said the word um, you wrote, you said um, extreme you were using using the sense of extreme as sort of a counterbalance I love that because 
But I think what's interesting about that, though, when when many people do talk about sort of changing the world and sort of making a difference, because I think many, to a certain degree, many people in the hearts do want to do that, but to a certain degree as well, they don't really want to do it. They don't really want to do the work and put the work in. And I think to a certain degree, I mean, we're all sort of guilty of that to a certain degree. But what I love about you, Rob, is that you really are sort of using your own sort of self as sort of a filter for activism. That's what I would say. And you really are, like you said before, you're living off the grid. Yeah, I know as well. You said before that like, you're traveling with no money. You, 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 the trash one. You said where you're dressing up like a transformer of trash. <laughs> you're traveling around uh, on a bike, and I think you. But you really are sort of embodying this whole message. I mean, how important do you actually th- sort of think it is to really sort of embody and in, in, in really sort of really embody the message that you that you feel in your heart? I think it's extremely important if you want to be effective, um, because the thing is. It's, uh, you know, what I've seen is that people really burn out. If they're not um, doing something that they really love or they wake up in the morning and they want to do it, um, they burn out. So I've seen that time and time again with activists where they'll do it for a couple of years and then it just becomes too much and then they can't do it anymore. So to me, like just logically, just rationally, if you want to be effective, you have to do something that you want to do. Um, and so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm living exactly what I want to be living. Um, and then the other part of it is, you know, if we are talking about, if we are really talking about stripping back the layers and talking about actual, you know, justice, you know, and actual environmental sustainability, we do need radical transformation from the current way that we're doing things. And, we're never going to have that without really sh- without like there's all these cool contraptions and all sorts of that sort of stuff but we really need to radically transform the way that we think and do most things if we're ever going to get out of the current way that we're doing things that is just destroying people and the environment as a whole yeah rob i completely agree uh rob i was also wondering and you said before um about dumpster diving and I think that's fascinating. What's the story behind that? Well, um, basically on my bike ride across the country, I was biking from San Francisco to Vermont. And uh, the idea of this bike trip was to try to cross the country having no environmental impact. Um, and uh, so for food, what I was trying to do was only find local, unpackaged, organic food that had the least impact. But the thing is, I, I found that I in a lot of places that just doesn't exist. So I made an exception and that was that I could go dumpster diving because it was food that was already going to waste. So might as well eat it. And, um, I was pretty amazed. The first dumpster that I ever looked into, uh, was full of food. And basically from that point on across the country, most of the dumpsters that I looked into just dumpster after dumpster after dumpster was filled to the brim with perfectly good food. And that summer biking across the country, biking, 70 miles 130 kilometers a day I gained about about five pounds or about three kilos while biking that far um and there's just such an abundance so I've just been raising a lot of awareness about food waste since then because it's just such a no-brainer let's not waste food Mm, what what, I was actually wondering what what do you do you know what what's like what's actually the reason sort of behind all the sort of wastage is it sort of cosmetic or does it go deeper than that? 
Yes, definitely much deeper. So you have like the, the ones that are most commonly talked about. You have cosmetics. So food is wasted because it's not the right shape, color, or size. So bananas can have the wrong curvature, so they're wasted. Sweet potatoes can be too big. Uh, apples can be too small. Uh, cauliflower can have the wrong tints. Like it could be instead of white, it could be like a, a light yellow. Uh, so all of those are reasons why billions of pounds of produce is being wasted. Others is suggested sell-by dates, so food is near those dates, uh, so it's thrown away. Even though suggested, suggested sell-by, best buy, uh, sell before, all of these dates don't say the food is bad after, and it's not. Um, and then stocking issues are another. If a grocery store orders 10,000 watermelons and only sells 5,000, well, now you've got 5,000 extra watermelons, so that's another reason. So those are some of the big ones, um, but really, to me, it's a much deeper issue. It is the fact that food has been turned into a commodity. It's the fact that food is a is just comes down to dollars and cents on a spreadsheet. It's a globalized system, uh, and so this really is the reason why so much food is wasted on the bigger scale. It's really the whole entire system that we've created and the way that we look at food. Do you actually, Rob, do you actually think, I mean, this is a bit of a different question, do you think that in the future maybe the policies, I mean, to, I mean, to hold that up, it must be a lot of to do with a lot of the policies coming from sort of the top, the top end of the spectrum. I mean, do you think in the future that pol the policies could change and that whole model could sort of turn the other way around sort of thing and the sort of the civilization and could actually, sorry, not civilization, but sort of um, people in power could sort of put more things in place to say that, instead of wasting the food here, we're going to send it to somewhere else or we're going to try and be more sort of thoughtful or put some law in place that makes a, a sort of a restaurant or even a, a big supermarket actually become more sort of conscious to a certain degree. I think we will see more of that, but that's still, if we're looking at like, if we're looking at the fact that we waste one third of our food globally, um, enough food to feed a couple billion people, uh, those things are still on the smaller scale. Like, for example, France made it illegal to, for, big, for big stores to throw away any food. They are, you're required to donate it in France. But now the problem is, of course, it was a huge step forward, but one of the, if you really look at it, what you see is there's so much food that now the people who are receiving their donations, like the food banks or food pantries, they have to throw away a lot of food because they're now receiving more than they can deal with. And... When we produce that much food, it's not just, it's already past the problem of being distribution because even if you distributed perfectly, we still would have an extra billion people worth of food or more. So policy can't really fix it. Um, it can help drastically. Policy could mean no hungry people. And it could at least mean that no food is going to the landfill and it's at least composted. So we could see through policy, you know, a massively different world for sure. Um, do I ever see that happening? No, not through, not if our political system remains remotely similar to the way that it is now. Uh, Rob, I was just wondering, have you got, uh, if you were in charge, how would you, like, what would be the first thing you would change, like, to combat this, like, greed, sort of, say, of, of food? 
Well, that's a pretty tough question, I guess, because it is so, you know, one of the ch one of the challenging things about any issue, when you look at any environmental issue, any human issue, what you realize is that they're all tied together. None of them are separate. The roots of all of the issues are growing and are tangled into the other roots of the other issues. And one of the most important things that I've always, that I've learned is never to look at anything as a black and white issue. Everything is gray. So many things are made black and white, but there is just no such thing. We live in an incredibly diverse world where one problem here is the solution there and vice versa. Um, so that makes it pretty hard because ultimately to make this world work, I think one of the things we need to do is definitely celebrate diversity, that one culture is going to do things in a totally different way than another, which makes it hard to make you know, decisions for the world, and I think that's often what makes our problems the worst, is making decisions, especially like white countries making decisions, like for example, you know, the United States or the UK deciding what's best for, you know, people in Kenya, that's when things get screwed up so badly as well. So, um, I guess I have a little bit of a hard time answering that question. Yeah, I think it is. Like you said, there there's a lot of. I think that goes that that understanding what you said there, like of how everything's not just one way or the other. It's sort of great it's in the middle. I think that goes for life in general. I think, like we're talking about before earlier, like about beliefs in the mind of believing that you own a certain land and things like that. I mean, I think, I think a lot of things in life that we do, we talk about this a lot in the podcast, but everything in life is sort of contradictory. Like you were doing something good in one area, but then you're contradicting yourself in another area. And we, I mean, we even talked about this before as well. I mean, I mean, this is going deeper, but we're even we're doing a podcast now, and we're like this. This message is going to be spread to lots of many many different people, and it could really sort of sort of ignite something inside someone else to change something in their life. But on, on another degree as well, we've got to ask the question of is like how much how much sort of bad has happened just because of this podcast and what I mean by that is it's just certain degrees like we're using a laptop now and we were sort of and then to even just the sense of to Chris to come to here Chris has had to travel in, in his in his car to come here and, yeah. and stuff like that it's just like there's so many you, you're trying to do so much good but on the other side there's so much and I notice within myself and it's it sometimes can be it's sometimes too hot. I mean, you must you must have went through this as well, but it's sort of we just you just realize how contradictory you are, and it's sort of it becomes sort of what do you do. Yeah. Can I just jump in for a second? I was just going to say yeah. I was just going to say Rob as well because I wanted to touch on something like Dan said there. I think I think the idea is that we as humans we're always trying to chase this perfect existence, but in our own minds and our own life we try to really make it all perfectly how we want it, and we'd all want like to be self sufficient. Like to be in like this like mode where we can completely just like be everything can be perfect, but in reality it can't. So we do have to live with this yin and the yang, but it it is just like embracing that, but not living that to an extent. That's what my view is on it. But I think it's, but it is hard just not to not beat yourself up when you even a little part of the problem you see it in yourself. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's the you know that's one of the great challenges and. Um, the thing that I've realized over the last five years is that if you care, if you care about people, if you care about the environment, if you care about animals, if you care, you're always going to be a hypocrite no matter what. Uh, it's impossible to live in society today and care deeply and not be a hypocrite. So for me, it's about minimizing that hypocrisy. It's about being transparent with that hypocrisy, you know, personally transparent, understanding it, and also being 
open and transparent with others and uh, just trying to do a really good job. None of us are ever going to be perfect, but we can always be striving to do a lot better. And so that's kind of the thing. And if we all, if we all just strive to do a lot better, the world would be a, obviously a drastically different place. So I don't really beat myself up because even though I, I'm not living the exact life that I'd want to, but uh, it just isn't possible to do that um, and still be a part of society and, of course, be here trying to affect society through things like this podcast. So um, it can be stressful and it can get you down, but I just try to always remember that, that you're always going to have some level of hypocrisy. It's just about minimizing it and being uh, transparent with it. Yeah, I like that as well. And I was actually thinking we had as well, not as well, also not using that as an excuse to not do anything, like not use that sort of them sort of mixed understanding that you have in your mind around the conversation, actually just thinking, yeah, I might be contradictory, but still try and, it, it, your, with your current belief systems that you've got and your current lenses, actually still try to do your best at what you perceive in your heart at that time. And then maybe that maybe from that position, that's when you the sort of the filters will change and you'll go deeper into sort of deeper avenues within that to make an even bigger change. That's what I feel anyway. And um, something else I want to touch on before as well is um, when you were t- um, talking about sort of, I think the exp- what was the experiment called? The one with the trash or was uh, you, the one where you look like a big sort of transformer. What was that one called again? Trash me. Trash me. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool that, by the way. And what I was actually wondering, what actually sort of inspired you to sort of visually sort of express sort of that across to people? Well, uh, one of the things was actually uh, that partially was inspired by Super Size Me, the documentary, yeah, yeah. Uh, where. Uh, Morgan Spurlock only ate McDonald's for 30 days straight. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good good documentary. Really good. Yeah, most people have seen it. And it was so powerful. It was, you know, he came up with a way to really get people thinking about fast food, get people thinking about McDonald's and what it does to your body. And so I just thought, how can I apply that to uh, get us to think about how much trash that we create? Um so I'm just always – so, you know, I kind of like look for successful things and then try to adapt them to, uh, you know, an environmental issue that I'm trying to work on. And I always try to find visual ways because today in 2017, we're such a visual race. We, you know, we, we – I can, I can throw huge numbers out to you like the fact that we create four and a half pounds of trash per day, which is 1,600 pounds – per year or 800 kilos but you know it's just some numbers but trash me by walking around the streets covered in trash it created a visual that people couldn't ignore that really they, it was in their face and had they it made them really be able to understand wow that's how much trash that I create and so that's what I try to do is really create visuals that will hopefully be things that people remember for years and years and years and that can keep coming back to them and uh, helping inspire them to make changes and wake people up through these visuals yeah that was really that's really really uh, deep thinking by the way it's really sort of powerful you actually using that understanding to really sort of try and inspire that in people's minds because like you said there the visual aspect even even for you as a person just to sort of actually think about that i mean how could i really sort of impact and get to the heart of the message i think that's a really it's really sort of i just love that how you've actually thought about that to that degree i mean just on a a sort of more of a practical level as well i mean 
could you actually sort of, I mean, what advice would you sort of give to sort of people? I mean, even to myself as well, because I'm sort of battling with this at the minute as well. I mean, I even said to Chris before, before we started this podcast, of um, I actually went to a sort of, I went to get buy me fruit before, fruit and veg before, and um, me fruit and vegetables. And even when you go in, and it's, it's a very low, it's a, like a local place where it's a lot of local food and things like that, and from a lot of farmers markets and places like that, but they still have, in the packaging itself, a lot of the sort of, even though it's locally produced, they still have. Um, a, they're in a lot of a lot of uh, packaging and things like that, and it's hard. It's very hard in the modern day life to sort of get away from that. I mean, do you have any sort of sort of advice to people, sort of how we can get away from that on on a sort of daily basis, and maybe how you you've dealt with that as well? Yeah, well, um, that's the thing. There is, because for example, in Europe, what I've found is that most organic fruits and vegetables are packaged, whereas the non-organic ones are more likely to be not packaged. So it's like you got to choose between organic and then trash or uh, not organic and, but no trash. So it's like, it can be really hard uh, to make those choices. And I guess it's just, it's again, comes back to just trying to do our best and to really make conscious decisions as much as we can of course, you could take it a, a step further and say that the bigger solution is to start growing your own food and support local farmers and create a community where you you know grow food and, and exchange food with each other. Uh, that's like the deeper solution, creating a you know eco village, eco communities where that you know where where you don't even monetize the food at all. Um, so there are certainly solutions out there, but in your if you're living kind of a more normal life, living in, in the big city, then uh, it's just about, of course, not striving for per- per- uh, perfection. And for example, like with packaged food, what you can do is buy the food that's minimally packaged. So for example, if you go buy like frozen pizzas or meals like that, those have the most packaging. But if you're buying like a bag of rice, you know, that plastic bag is one plastic bag that's going to be used for a dozen meals rather than a plastic a pizza that's wrapped in plastic and cardboard but only gives you one meal. So kind of looking at, at getting more out of it at least. Yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, just, be, just before as well, something I actually want to go back to as well. I mean, when we before we were talking about how a lot of people have been sort of fixed in the ways and like I was saying before, it's we were saying before they're having the conversation about how we sort of were very much sort of contradict ourselves in many different sort of areas of life but do you, do you actually sort of think that i mean i mean is this down i mean and there's a lot of things that i would love to see your general thoughts around it really but there's a lot of things that play in this conversation i mean do you think it's to do with because if we look around at society now a lot of people are sort of overwhelmed like we're just talking about there about how people can't even people to a certain degree are just but like a lot of us are just buzzing around the planet all the time like we we're sort of we're working. A lot of people are working nine or five, and the sort of the, the the heads are down, and the and the that sort of they're not giving themselves that mental space or mental clarity to actually make these better decisions. I mean, do you think do you think it's down to the individual? Do you think it's sort of is it is it just in general that people don't have enough time? Is it is it sort of the system doesn't su- completely su- support a hundred percent organic route? I would love to see your general thoughts around that. And I know it's sort of a a big open question, but I would just love to see your points around that. Well, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, ultimately, I think one of the best things we can do is slow down because the faster we're doing everything, the more resources we consume, the 
just the the more we need of everything, the faster we do it. So if we can just slow down and, for example, just sit on our porch and watch the clouds go by more often or just go for walks in the woods or if you don't have woods near you, just going for a walk in the park or in your neighborhood, like that is one of the biggest things is just slowing down. And it's better for us because it reduces stress, which is, you know, stress is today one of the leading causes of of health problems. The food we eat, whether we're getting exercise, moving our body, and then the amount of stress and anxiety that we have. I think it's over 75% of doctor visits today in most Western countries come down to preventative things, things that can be prevented by the way that we live live our lives. And so um, I, I think that that's absolutely one of the biggest things is just ultimately we have to simplify our lives. Um, I don't think we can keep up these complicated I don't I don't think that the way we're doing things today where we're so busy and it's so complicated is sustainable and it won't last like it'll break at some point. Yeah, Rob, I completely agree with you. Um Rob, here's something I was interested in asking. Yeah, yeah, I know you're making a huge difference with what you're doing. You're really pushing forth this new way of living, this new existence. But overall, do you see us steering the ship and getting out of this mess? No, I definitely do not. So, you know, uh, Five people are born every second. And sure, there's some serious consciousness happening. Like the good news is I see millions of people are waking up. You know, just since the time that I woke up five years ago, I'm sure probably tens of millions of people have woke up. Uh, So we see this massive shift of consciousness. uh, But I always have to remember that it it is a vast minority of people because Right now, with five people being born every second, a majority of those people are being born more into the mindset of consumerism. You know, you have India and China that are both set to have a middle class the size of the United States, 300 million people. So the United States consumes three to five times the amount of resources that the earth can produce, which means we're obviously over, we're going into a deficit. And so if you have India and China both ending up with a middle class that are doing that, we're going to be using, you know, what it could be seven, ten Earth's worth of resources. Um, And so you see, you know, the consciousness, but at the same time, there's far more people moving into the direction of, of wanting more, consuming more, wanting bigger houses, wanting to have multiple cars. And so ultimately, um, as much positive as I see, I, I don't see anything, if I really actually look at it realistically, if I look at any science, if I look at any of this, there's nothing that I've found that that would lead me to believe that we're going to be able to steer the ship into a direction of sustainability and justice in the world. Well. What do you actually? What, what what do you actually think the tipping point will be, Rob? Do you think it'll be sort of overpopulation? I mean, or is it, will it be sort of lack of discipline, like you were saying there, about people wanting to keep buying big houses? Or do you think it'll be sort of multiple sort of points? Yeah, I would say it's everything. Um, you know, like people like to say, climate change is the most pressing issue of our time. You know, for other people, it could be nuclear that could end the world. Uh, some people think artificial intelligence is actually the most dangerous thing that exists today. So I think that 
no one thing will do it. I've even seen people say that plastic pollution is in the oceans is, is the worst. Now, I, I kind of doubt that. I would imagine climate change is actually probably more pressing. But um, oh, and then you have the fact that by 2050, we might have more plastic in the oceans than fish. So it's a little of everything, uh, really. And I would imagine you see many collapses. Um, and we already are seeing obvious collapses, you know, a lot of the refugee crises are because of environmental type things. Um, uh, so I would say, you know, it's just a lot of things. And, you know, one area will be hard hit by one thing, whereas another area it's hard hit by a, a very different thing. But ultimately they are all connected. And that's one of the amazing things that I think that the human base, human race has realized in the past the world was this place that was so large that we couldn't even fathom it, that we didn't, we couldn't even fathom how big it was or that there was an end or that you could actually use up any resource. We thought the oceans had unlimited number of fish. You know, the state that I grew up in Wisconsin, the trees seemed infinite, but they chopped down every single tree. The passenger pigeon, there were flocks of over a billion pigeons in one flock that would block out the sun for up to five minutes as they went by, where they'd literally block out the sun. They shot the last passenger pigeon. They extincted something that had billions of them. And so in the past, the world was this seemingly infinite place. But now we realize, dang, the earth is really small. If you throw trash in the ocean in Japan, It'll be over in Canada in a year. And some, you know, we can now fly around the world in 48 hours. If you have a credit card, you can literally fly around the entire world in two days. Whereas in the past, if you tried to do that, you would have probably died. And if you did make it, it would have been, uh, you know, a decade-long mission just hundreds of years ago or maybe a thousand years ago for that so now we've just realized that the world is actually this tiny place now a lot of people don't realize that yet but that's what we're realizing that it is this very little small place and of course it's just a little ball sphere floating through earth and all seven billion of us are are on this together <laughs> yeah definitely and i think that's that's absolutely amazing we have looking at it to be honest it's quite ironic how um probably uh, like if you told someone like about 100 or 200 years ago that you went all the way around the world they would believe you in two days yeah <laughs> not even that if you even if you just said in my lifetime you could be an old man i went all around the world yeah be like no you haven't yeah nowhere <laughs> but right now yeah. you see if you said oh yeah i went around the world in two days people are like yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> spent 10 grand but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, rob i was actually thinking hey, and this is what was coming to my mind here i know you've done some like um incredible incredible feats that's really made people like open their eyes and you've actually shown it's possible in a lot of areas where a lot of people were actually thinking it's impossible but do you think it is possible to create like a sustainable world and um, do i think it's possible yes do i think we will no on the other hand, is it possible to create sustainable communities with that are equal, just, sustainable places? Absolutely. And I think that's something truly worth striving for. What I think is, you know, if your mission is to change the whole world, the sad thing is you're probably going to fail. And maybe when I first got into this, I was a little bit naive. Uh, 
But now I've realized I can't change the whole world and probably no one ever will. Uh, you know, just look at the most successful activists out there. Like, you know, like say, let's take Gandhi or Martin Luther King, two of the more well-known activists out there. Sure, they did an amazing job, but look where we are now. Like, racism is not gone. Equality is not existing for the African-Americans in the United States. India, sure, they gained their independence, but what Gandhi was really striving for was far bigger than that. Uh, so, you know, when you realize that, to, to create a, you know, a sustainable and just world, of course it's possible if we all worked on it together, but, but going to happen, I don't see it. But we can create communities together, and then those communities can show other people what's possible, and then they can create more communities that are like that. And to me, you know, that's worth living for. Um, I don't have to change the whole world to have a, a life worth living. If I can just simply change my community, uh, to me, that that's that's good enough. Like that's worth that's worth it. Yeah, yeah. I like that, and it's very interesting because I think as well to a certain degree. I mean to get to that point where I think we need to create a more sustainable world. I think, I know a lot of people say, uh, like there's a quote, the quote, I think it might be Gandhi actually says, be the change you want to see in the world. I know it's sort of like a, a quote that everyone says, but it is true because I think for me, what I've noticed in a sort of a, a journey that I'm going through at the minute is obviously I'm getting really down the line of looking into minimalism and, and sort of adopting a lot of minimalistic sort of things in my life and alternative, like alternative way of living. But it seems to be that this sort of, to gain this sort of sustainable way of living and I think maybe how the planet may, be, may get to it is actually more of a sort of a mindset thing and what I, what I mean by that is like I said before over the last sort of it's definitely over the last six months but maybe even, even over the last five years I've been starting in my life I've started implementing sort of this more like I said before realizing sort of that it's not an object that can make us happy and it's not the object that gives us ha happiness and um what I've noticed as well that a big thing and maybe is is an aspect of actually freeing ourselves up so we can actually make more sort of concrete changes in the world and freeing ourselves up from all the things that I think in life there's a lot of stuff that can distract us. I mean, I think a lot of people put focus on things that are out of their control, like celebrities and sort of even in a sense as well, like football teams and things like that. A lot of people sort of put their identity into things like that. And and as well to go even bigger, put identity in, the identity in objects and things like that. And I think what I've noticed is a society we're so heavy, and um, we'll have we'll have so much sort of our reality. I've said this before, but our reality is so sort of dense, and if you, to a certain degree, we have so many objects that create who we are as a person. And basically, what I want to ask a question for, I'll try and formulate a question from that. But basically, what I want to ask you is. Um, what was sort of the, I mean, I know you've gone through that similar process where you've realized in your life that you're so, you were so heavy at one point. I mean, what was the, some of the first questions at that point in your life where you started realizing that? What were some questions that you started asking yourself around sort of alternative living and what were some of the first things that you actually changed within that sort of conversation? Yeah, well, <clears throat> one of my early, the earliest documentaries that I watched that really got my whole mind spinning was um zeitgeist and that just you know i had a hard time sleeping after that just that really started getting me thinking about how so many of the things that i believed were just wrong and how so many of the systems that we just put all of our faith and our faith and our trust in just mm. don't deserve that faith or trust uh, at all and 
so that was an you know a really early one and another early thing that I watched was actually the story of stuff which is a short web series that teaches you basically where our stuff comes from, how it gets to us, the impact that it has on the world. And so for me, one of the biggest things was just ultimately realizing that my life, the reason my life was the way it was, was because corporations had done a really good job at getting what they want. They had sold me on the idea that I needed their products to to ex- not just to like be happy and healthy, but really to exist. Like if we just took, for example, my old spice deodorant that I had for years, you know, they had come up with this idea that I needed deodorant, and they had spread that through multiple millions and millions of dollars worth of advertising. Had they never came up with these products and done the advertising, I never would have used them or thought that I needed them. And of course, human beings don't need deodorant. Of course, now I know that. But at the time, it was like, of course I'm going to put this on every single day, maybe more than one time per day. And so for me, just realizing that my life was what it was because it had been designed that way through corporations and government, that was where I was like, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not living my life for them. Part of it was wanting to change so I wasn't causing environmental destruction. But the other part was just, I'm not someone else's tool. I'm going to live my life and other people aren't going to profit off of all of my moves and profit in a way that's destroying the world yeah rob i'm, I'm completely with, i love that by the way and i'm completely with you on that one as well because i went through a period where not even i know you used the example of what sorry what was the example you used there again i lost my trailer thought there what do you see again the example you used to oh, jordan jordan yeah sorry yeah. um I had so many thoughts on my mind there, but it's just because it was resonating with us. Because I've, I've, I think as well that goes. I know you were just using the example of Jordan, but I think that goes across all sort of boundaries. And I think that's a lot of them. A lot of them tiny little things all can mount up to to sort of to, to hold you down to your bigger reality. Like sort of, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these sort of um, things that you like, like shower gel and things like things like that. And Jordan, like you said, that we don't really need. I mean. If you do think about that in a bigger picture, I mean, a lot of that is taking away our sort of time to pay for them things, what we don't really need them. I mean, I've even went through a period in my life where, I mean, this might not be, this might not, not sound sort of, I mean, people might be thinking, well, I can spend one ninety nine on a on a deodorant for God's sake, but at the end of the day, I mean, over if you think about that over months, over years, it it does mount up and it takes a lot of your attention away from the the most important things that you could be focusing on mm. i mean and one thing for me as well to go a bit deeper into that conversation with shower gel i haven't used shower gel now for four and a half years it is and um there was a time in my life where i was actually having um i was getting sort of eczema on my arms and things like that and i took away the shower gel aspect and um I started my 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 skin got completely better. I felt much more healthier, and and I think as well that was to do with my nutrition as well, and completely just eating, stripping away all this, or filtering out all the crap that we don't need, and getting to that point. But I think that's what a lot of people, on a practical level, that's what people don't actually realize is a lot of stuff in our life that we just don't need. And when you strip back and simplify, that's where life becomes so, so much more better and beautiful. Absolutely. And it just adds up. Like you said, one shower gel, one deodorant, like you don't, but you don't, it does, that's not what changes things. But it's when you realize all of these things and it's literally, it's hundreds of things in our life that we think we need. And ultimately it comes down to two things. One, all of that is monetized, which means we have to work to buy this stuff, which ultimately we don't need, which if we strip that away, 
that means we could just work a lot less and instead do what we love. And then the second part is not only does all this stuff cost money, but it all takes time. Just all of the trips to store, all the trip, all the time shopping yeah. online, all of these things take an incredible amount of time. And so that's more time that you could instead spend doing what you love. So all of this stuff amounts to incredible amounts of time. And of course, according to most people, time is what they're short on. So it's, uh, you know, demonetizing your life is giving yourself the freedom of time to do what you want. Yeah, I like that. Rob, is there any, I was actually wondering as well, is there any other sort of, on a more of a practical level, again, is there any sort of things, other things that, that you do that you filter out your life that other people might sort of, with their filter of reality, might actually think that's sort of crazy? I mean, is there any other sort of practical points that you do? Well, um, some things like, you know, having stripped my life back so much, I now live without a single bill to my name. And uh, no credit card. I don't have a bank account um, and uh, no cell phone. So, but the cell phone is the big one. Um, a lot of people, I, in the past, I would have thought it to be pretty much impossible to live without a cell phone. Um, but what I realized was my cell phone was the last bill to my name and it was about $100 a month. That's $1,200 a year. It's a pretty decent amount. But the thing that was even bigger, though, was just realizing how much of a slave I was to that device where it's just habitual to, if it's around, to always be checking it. And so the biggest challenge of my life and probably most of my friends is disconnecting, that the constant connection. And so not having a cell phone basically forces you to disconnect at least for the moments that you're outside of someone's house or at work because everywhere has Wi-Fi. These days almost everywhere has Wi-Fi. But at least you can disconnect and be fully present on your walk or your bike or your drive or, or something like that. And so I would say that's a huge one as far as like really opening up your consciousness and just gaining freedom is, is going cell phone free. Well, that is, and I think that for that, obviously within the, even myself as well. I mean, I feel a pull, pull of that as well. And me and Chris have had conversations about that where we've actually felt that we we have them moments of clarity where you're sitting on your phone and you think, is this phone sort of this phone's um, holding me to my reality? Yeah. We talk about that a lot, don't we? Yeah, and I was actually had a little realization this morning as well. I, I get these all the time as well, but um, I was just had um, Netflix on a documentary on Netflix. I had me, I was doing work on me. Um, me laptop and also had me phone giving us like um even though it was positive music it was just like uplift uplifting pulse pulsation music to get me in, in the mood for work and and i just turned everything off and i just had to sit there and just had to go i even thought like oh the netflix documentary's on i'm i'm just learning there i'm learning through like the audio sounds like that they're doing something good for me body the laptop i'm working I'm, I'm moving forward in my life but then i literally just like stopped it all even though they were all like good things individually i just had a realization was this is just too much like too mm. much for me like i need like my brain was just i i felt like my brain was flashing to us like because it didn't know like it was too much going on even yeah. though like the positive impact and stuff like i was seeing the negative aspects of having too much yeah. of good things so to say yeah absolutely it's just you're, it, it it overwhelms the brain to have that much going on. I don't think our, I don't think our brains were designed long term to be able to deal with that kind of bombardment. Mm. 
when you, Rob as well, something else I wanted to bring up with you as well, and some one of the um, sort of the things that you were doing was I remember when you said that you didn't have a sh- it, one of the I think it was one of your sort of um, one of the sort of experiments that you did was to not have a shower for um, I think it was was it how many was it one year you never had a shower for? Yeah, well, it was initially just for the bike ride across the country, which was 104 days, but then I turned it into six months, and then it was going, it was so great that I turned it into a year, but then I kept going, and it ended up being a thousand days. Yeah, wow. That's, I think that's, that's incredible. I mean, at that time, were you sort of, were you doing, um, were you still like sort of going in the sea and things like that as well? Yeah, so on yeah. my bike ride, I was crossing the country, and I would swim in lakes and rivers every time I found one. Then I moved back, and then after the bike ride, it was uh, I lived about four blocks from the Pacific Ocean, so I'd just swim in there. And in the winter, it was cold, like 54 Fahrenheit, so 10 Celsius. Um, so it's certainly cold, but for me, there's just nothing better than immersing in water. Showers, you know, everybody knows the great how great it feels to be getting a shower. It yeah. wakes you up, and but getting in a body of water is just so much so you know so much more revitalizing and so uh that was really one of the beautiful things and also it forced me to disconnect i'd have to go to the ocean and take a break and be immersed in nature for a little while every day yeah i'm I'm, I'm completely with you on that one rob as well because that's something that i like to have experiment a lot with is sort of not having baths and actually not having baths sorry not having showers and actually just going in the sea and washing in the sea and things like that because i think there's something something so pure and natural about that i mean i was actually doing a bit of research i'm not sure if you're familiar with this it was sort of a few years ago when i was started looking into not using shower gels and things like that but i actually found out that a lot of sort of conventional um shower systems actually have um Oh, they actually have chlo- a sense of chlorine that gets filtered through them. I mean, I know as well that I think you can get um, you can actually get as well sort of chlorine filters as well. But I mean, to a certain degree, how much is that sort of actually really being filtered out with the filter? So that's why I went through like like yourself. I went through a period where I didn't have showers and I was just going in the sea. And it's a lot harder in where we live in the UK as well because it's a lot colder than oh, sort yeah. of ten Celsius. That's that's boiling that's for us. Hot tub. That's a hot tub for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely um oh now i just lost about the yeah, chlorine well that's the thing as soon as i started to take showers again after a thousand days of not showering my skin dried out like it was flaky again and after you know the chlorine is not i know there's some benefits of chlorine but but all of these things have benefits and that's the reason that you know, they are generally adapted by society uh, or institutions. But for me, my health was n- is never better than when I'm swimming in natural bodies of water. And when I take showers, because uh, here in the United States, almost all water is chlorinated, all municipal water. My skin dries out and it's definitely not as healthy. Yeah, and that's when, and that's when you have to that way the average consumer will go back to the store or the drugstore and end up just replaying the cycle look i've got dry skin and then they'll say oh well you need this product right here it's going to really change your life (laughs) and then then straight away the back in the shower same problem (laughs) so it's just the continuous cycle that we're always trying to beat and at the end of it what we actually see is that when we actually disconnect from the cycle or step away from it we sort of open up open up these new boundaries and, and we actually see like the charade that's all being played over everything, every single thing. I mean, I've been watching like um, the 
it's if it's a um, series on um, Netflix on oh, not not Netflix on YouTube, and it's showing you if if these companies were honest, and it would show you all these different aspects of their marketing campaigns, their impact on society, how they actually um, impact your mind, how your brain responds to it, like your social conditioning. Every single thing was like like shown through these commercials of like honest companies if they were actually honest Mm -hmm. and the truth is what we find right now is that we're also like ingrained into the system i mean like right now we're doing this on our iMac and right now i see so many iphone logos looking at us like trying to instigate my mind actually to buy an apple product because i see it as a sufficient thing he really wants one (laughs) <laughs> I'm <laughs> one day <laughs> no no it's not my thing man um but just to disconnect from it it's like the complete it's the complete um it's to disconnect yourself because we're going beyond like every every single year sorry we're going beyond what we've actually been like who we've become is being angry and through the like we actually think we're being ourselves we, we actually think we're rob greenfield chris hopper dan harrison we're nothing but like the consumerism society that we've been brought into and it's nice yep. how you've actually disconnected from that rob but like overall like you said and like we said through this podcast i know we're actually all connected still to the system so even if we actually just turned off all our laptops went to the woods and started living there started like completely like disengaged from society we'll still be pulled i think still our soul is was just because we've been in the part of the system for too long, I still think part of us will always be there. I, I still just jump in, Rob. I know you want to say something. I just want to just say something on that because I still think I agree with Chris to a degree that we will be pulled. To, we'll be we'll have this subconscious pull in our mind back to to what we were doing before. But I still think that, like you said before, you when you go in the ocean, you can't you can't take your mobile phone with you. Well, some people will try to take a selfie, but um, you can't really take your mobile phone with you. And I think it's no matter how much we're still indoctrinated in the system and how much or we have all these sort of things that are pulling us around the world, we still have these moments of clarity where like you can go and jump in a lake and you've got no technology, it's just you and in that ocean. It's and I think and I think that's what, what maybe with a lot of these experiments what you're doing, I think that's what you're sort of showing to people that no matter how much we're indoctrinated in the system, you still can have these moments in your life where you can you can strip away everything and just experiment and, and taste this bit of sort of pureness. If that makes yeah, sense. Absolutely. And I, I agree with both sides of that. And but that has been one of the biggest surprises of all of this is that, you know, through stripping my life back to the basics over the last five years and just just experimenting. Because that's of course what a lot of this is, is it's experimenting. The amazing thing is how many times I thought something couldn't be done and then I did it, and then I realized, oh, it can be done. Um, just for example, getting rid of my cell phone, I thought how does this person exist in, this was 2015, how does a person exist without a cell phone? Is it even possible? (laughs) You know, would I still have friends? Like, how would people communicate with me? And then it took practice. Like, first what I did is I put my cell phone in a drawer for a month and just went a month without one so that I could experience it. Um, But anyway, when I got rid of it, you know, I was like, I I got rid of it, canceled the plan. I felt, you know, I I put my hands on my chest, felt around, and I was like, wow, sure enough, I'm still here. I still exist. And then over the next couple of days, I hung out with my friends, and I'm like, wow, sure enough, my friends are still my friends. They still like me. 
And that's the thing with all of this is that every time that I thought in the past something wasn't possible, it was. And then also, as much as I thought I'd be giving things up, the thing is, the reason that, you know, I'm not like pulled back as much as you might think is because by giving up these consumeristic things, it makes way for so much more. And the thing is, everything that I give up, I, I typically receive so much more happiness, health, freedom, passion, purpose. And so because of that, I don't feel any bit of emptiness from the things that I give up or any sort of lacking. Rather, it always is a way of filling myself more and, 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 and having more rather than less. Yeah, I love that's beautiful. That's, I love that, by the way. And that's something that I'm really tapping into as well, that understanding what you said there. And before as well, Rob, when you were talking about, um, I lost my trailer thought there, two seconds, I'll try and get it back. Um, but you were saying about, um, oh, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, you're talking about the internet and things like that. I mean, if you even think about that conversation, though, I mean, it's only been, has it only been about 15 years, really? I Maybe even 10 years, how it's, how much it's been actually indoctrinated into sort of, into sort of civilization to a certain degree. I mean, it's not even that long ago. That, I mean, if you think back, like a lot of people, I mean, now we're walking around and everyone's heads are in the mobile phones. And I mean, our heads are now on this computer now. I mean, but even just 10, even just say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that reality was completely different. And people would look back and think, well, what what did they used to do? Because now 90% of people's time is just sort of completely absorbed in the thing that's in front of us or like the computer itself. But, um, but from that as well, because I want to formulate a question from that, I mean, do you think that... Um, I mean, with the because it seems to be that this is going to be something that in the future that we're not going to be able to sort of we're definitely not going to be able to stop. I mean, even if even if fifty percent of the world population comes off the mobile phones, or even just puts procedures in place like you're doing, like I'm doing, like Chris is doing, and sort of trying to filter out sort of hundred percent consumption of of your mobile phone and things like that, and trying to connect back to nature. But do you actually think in the future that maybe that could be one of our downfalls that? we're going to actually keep continue to lose this sort of natural balance or natural harmony with nature. And maybe that's what sort of, and that whole balance is something that is important for the, for hu- for human evolution and human life. Yeah. I think the more we go down this path of like being connected to the electronics where we can't really exist without them, where they are us, I think the more lost we will become as a, a human race and the more problems that we will see uh and the more problems we'll create so obviously technology has its huge upsides no question about that but ultimately if we continue down the path of being so dependent on them that we don't even really know how to just simply exist um i don't see that as a healthy thing for the human race and uh i don't see that ending well for us yeah man well, well if, i think that's probably a cool place to wrap it up as well we've, yeah. we've kept you for a bit of your time but Rob, just thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. Honestly, such a uh, great, inspiring guy and such a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. It's been been real good. So thanks for having me on and uh, hope people got something positive out of it. Wow, what a conversation that was there. It was such a very interesting guy. It really did. It's caused me to actually analyse my life in in many different areas in terms of sustainability and alternative living. And I really hope it's also helped you as well take a look at certain areas of your life. Rob really is an interesting guy and doing some very, very good, inspiring work in the world. 
And if you want to check out more of Rob's up and coming pieces of activism that he's going to be doing in the future, or even check out past ones he's done, please go to his website at robgreenfield.tv. And also as well, I just want to say if you please, if you do want to support the podcast, it would be absolutely incredible if you could support our podcast through the Patreon page. It really would mean so much to me and Chris. And we really do want to take this to the next level. And with your help, we can do that. We want to add in person, more in-person elements to this podcast. We also, in the future, would love to add a video element to the podcast as well. So please, if you can, feel it in your heart and please help us take this to the next level. We love you all. Thanks so much for tuning in every single week. It means so much to me and Chris. We'll catch you next week. Peace.